Well, as always, we'll come to the time in our service now. We're going to look at a passage from the Bible. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, if you turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning this new series today in Hebrews 11. If you're using this Brown Pew Bible, it's on page 851. And as we're going to be doing each week now, because each of the passages we're looking at in Hebrews is pointing us to another story, once you've found that, I'm going to ask you to hold your place there and turn somewhere else. So when you've found Hebrews 11, grab a pencil, grab a connect card, whatever, and stick it in Matthew 14, which is on page 692 if you're using this Brown Pew Bible. And whenever you have found those things, would you stand with me and I'll read these Passages for us. Start with our Hebrews passage. And just to give us a bit of context, we're looking at just the first two verses today, but to give us a bit of context, I'm going to start a little bit above it in verse 32. It says this Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Wow. Verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence. If you're using your own Bible and you do this, circle that word confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now, here's our passage. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, faith, faith is what? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Flip over with me now, if you still got it, to Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. I'll read it for us. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boats and go ahead of him to the other side, and he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by waves because of the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, yeah. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Wow. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is God's word. 
You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and just commit this time now to God, ask for His Spirit to lead us. Spirit of God, we just ask you once again to come now as we look to your word, to open it up to us, to open up our hearts, open our ears, to hear and receive what it is you want to say to us this morning from your word. We believe that this word is living and active, that it is speaking even now, though this is a book thousands of years old, it speaks to us even now because the spirit who inspired these men to write these words is still living. And I believe that you have drawn each one here for a specific purpose today because you have something you want to say to us through this word. You say that when you send out your word, it doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. And oh God, would you accomplish that purpose in each one of us today? As I always ask, eternal God, now move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. We, we've all likely been there before. You're standing, staring at this seemingly impossible situation in front of you, and either because you've never tried before, you don't know what to expect, or because you know very well what to expect, you just become paralyzed with fear. You just lose all confidence in your strength and your ability to go another step further. I just I can't do it. There's all kinds of different things that can bring about that feeling for us. I remember particularly with the birth of our first child, my wife at times expressing a, such a loss of confidence at times. I don't think I can do this. Uh, former Anglican bishop and now a, a author, N.T. Wright, he speaks of having a similar experience like this on an alpine hiking expedition. It's completely stuck. I can't go on. But in both of those cases and in countless others like them, do you know what it was that renewed their confidence? That, that restored their faith and allowed them to carry on? Do you know what it was? It was either hearing the witness of those who had already accomplished those seemingly impossible tasks before them, or in literally seeing the task accomplished right in front of their eyes. So for my wife, for instance, it was the midwife. Remember, grabbing my wife's hand, being like, honey, honey, listen, for, for centuries now, Billions of women have felt exactly the way you feel right now, and they've been able to make it. I know you can make it. And somehow it's like, okay, okay I guess. And of course she did. We, we have two kids. On the hiking expedition, uh, uh, writes talks about looking up to the summit and seeing the bright red jackets of, a, of another hiking party that was hours ahead of them. And by tracing their path, he was able to see both uh, what he could expect as they made it to the summit themselves, and he was able to see that making it to the summit was possible. We are beginning this new teaching series this morning through the 11th chapter of Hebrews entitled, By Faith. And each Sunday we'll be considering the witness of various men and women in the Bible, what Hebrews 12 calls a cloud of witnesses, actually. The witness of men and women in the Bible who... who, who were challenged and who had to step out and experience things that were far more impossible than most of us would ever have to face in our lives. And they, they faced them and they made it through. But as I've tried to say leading up in the past few weeks to this series, it's important to remember Hebrews 11 is not some kind of compendium of superheroes. It's not a, a compiled list of stories and praise of the human spirit. No, 
On their own, the reality is that these men and women wouldn't have been able to accomplish anything. They would have succumbed to the very same paralyzing fear that we all feel when faced with impossibility. No. In each and every instance, faith. By faith and faith alone, that's what is said to be the one thing that carried them through, that made the impossible possible. Now, faith in what? Uh, what was the nature of that faith? Okay, well, we're, we're going to get there as we go here. But big picture, my hope is that by studying these stories of faith together, week by week, we too might be inspired. We too might be encouraged to press on whatever the seemingly impossible thing is that you're facing right now individually, or that we're going to face together as a church family that we believe God might be calling us to. That these stories would encourage us to have the same faith. And as we already heard this morning from our passage in Hebrews there, those first two verses, before just jumping right in to these stories of impossible things accomplished by faith, and in the context of persevering, the author of Hebrews, what he wants to do first of all is clearly define what he means by faith. He's saying, I want you to, I'm going to keep using this word. I want you to know right from the start what I mean when I say faith. I'm thankful he's done that. But then, of course, because we're looking at the first two verses, we don't have any of his example stories. I've included this morning that second passage we read in Matthew 14 as an example of what I think the definition of faith in Hebrews looks like when it's lived out in real time. That's what it looks like. And in fact, for all kinds of reasons that we'll get into, the story of the disciples in the storm and Peter stepping out onto the waves where Jesus is, is actually, for me, it is the primary image, it is the controlling metaphor for the entire series, actually. Why? Well, for starters, not only because the action of Peter, the action that he accomplishes is impossible, but the context in which he accomplishes it is also, I think, powerfully descriptive of the kind of context in which we're usually called to exercise faith as well. Think about it. When Jesus calls Peter out of the boat to come and join him on the waves, is it when Peter is safe, dry, enjoying a nice leisurely sail? Is it, does he call him to exercise his faith like this after he's just poured his second cup of coffee, enjoying his morning devotions and prayer time? No. He calls him to step out on the waves when he's cold, soaking wet, and just spent the entire night struggling against the wind, wondering if him and his friends are going to drown. In fact, while he's still in the middle of the very circumstances threatening to kill him, that's where Jesus, that's the context where Jesus calls Peter to exercise this definition of faith that we're looking at in Hebrews. And what's helpful for us about that is that I think it's the exact same for us today. Isn't it? Isn't it not? Maybe not on a boat. Maybe we're not all sailors stepping out on boats. But doesn't he call us to exercise faith like this when you're physically exhausted from like parenting toddlers all day or, or working 10-hour shifts every day? Doesn't he call us to exercise faith like this when you're emotionally maxed out from just a, a persistent, constant relational strain at home? Doesn't he call us to exercise faith like this when work 
school, life deadlines are just crushing in on us? Aren't those the context where being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't yet see is truly tested? Where we really find out where the rubber meets the road, what do you really believe? Of course they are. And yet, it's very hard for us to see it that way many times. Why? Well, because in our 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 21st century North American existence is often so far removed from what we read about the circumstances in the Bible. Those verses we read about before uh, our passage in Hebrews, lots of what we read about in the New Testament church seems so different from our experience. What we end up doing is we don't think that our struggles really are faith struggles. We think, "Oh, oh, going to prison because you're a Christian, getting your stuff confiscated, those are faith struggles. The things I'm going through, that's, that's just everyday life. But the Bible's picture of the Christian life is very different. It's very different, actually. In biblical terms, the Christian life is constantly described as a battle, a spiritual battle, regardless of the context, regardless of how intense the persecution is, whatever. It's a battle. And it's not laser tag, okay? It's life and death, real like storming out of a PT boat on Omaha Beach with real bullets and mortars flying over your head with real people who are actually trying to destroy you. That's what you're involved in from the moment you enter into life as a Christian. That's what you're involved in. And because we don't see it that way, we don't see it that way, we don't know that we need courage. We don't know that we need training. That we need to be disciplined in our faith and grow in it. And we can look at the places of suffering and trial that we experience, and instead of following Jesus out onto the waves, following him out there where our faith can truly be grown, all we want to do many times is hunker down in the boat and pray for the storm to end. Don't we? I do. But I believe that Jesus calls us to so much more than that. Because, yes, you can do that. You can just pray for the storm to end. I know I've done that. Sometimes that's all you can do. Just, you're just like saying, help me. Get me out of here. Sometimes that's all we can do. But listen, I'm saying if that's all you ever do, every time a storm comes, all we ever do is just say, get me out of here. You can do that, and yet what it does is it continually leaves you stunted. It continually leaves you immature in our faith. And it leaves us completely unprepared for battle because we've never been tested and grown in the faith that we so desperately need. And I believe Jesus does. He he calls us out to so much more, to trust him for so much more than that. And if you're here this morning and you're ready, or maybe you're just at least intrigued enough to want to begin learning what it means to face the impossible in your life with the same kind of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11, and I believe to see some of the same kind of results that they saw as well, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you in this series to to step out of the boat with me. Do it with me, because listen, I'm going to be learning and trying to seek to grow and and, and build my own faith together with you. That's, That's exactly what I want to do as well. To do that together and see what kind of impossible things God might be calling us to accomplish in this next season of life as a church. Are you ready for this? I hope so. And the way we'll set out to do that today is just by looking at both of these passages together in just two ways. We're going to talk about stepping out as a result of encouragement 
and then stepping out as a response to Jesus' call. Those two things, stepping out as a result of encouragement, stepping out as a response to Jesus' call. So if you close your Bibles, would you open them up again? Hebrews 11, I don't know, again, stick a pencil, a piece of paper, something in Matthew 14. Then follow along with me here as we learn together about what Hebrews 11 wants to teach us about living by faith. So let's look, first of all, at stepping out as a result of encouragement. Stepping out as a result of encouragement. And I want to consider this first point more from the perspective of our first passage there in Hebrews 11 in particular, because as I mentioned, the very first verse of Hebrews 12 tells us that all of Hebrews 11 is actually this great big gigantic megaphone of encouragement. It's a megaphone of encouragement to those who are presently suffering right now today and whose faith is weak and is struggling as a result of that. That's one of the reasons Hebrews 11 is given to us. Now, I'm going to just take a quick poll here. I don't know how many CrossFit fans have we got in this room here today. I see zero hands up right now. That's okay. I'll just, let me just tell you, if you think that CrossFit is a gym for Christians, you're not a fan of it. You don't know what it is. That's, that's not what it is. CrossFit uh, is basically, you think of it as a, we just kind of present it as an exercise philosophy, a way of training. Some people might call it an exercise cult, uh, where basically it's a blending, a crossing over, that's where the term comes from, of a whole bunch of different styles of exercise, everything from like high intensity interval, you've got powerlifting, plyometrics, gymnastics, all these things crossing over into one exercise way. But whether you're part of a CrossFit gym or you just know what it is, what you might also know is that CrossFit isn't just simply like a way of doing exercise. It's an exercise community. It's a community of people. It's, it's, it's crazy. If you've met someone who is involved in this, you know they really, really love it, like a lot. They want to tell you about it a lot. And what you also know, if you've ever been to a CrossFit gym, what you don't see is a bunch of individuals walking around to different machines with headphones in, ignoring each other. What you see is a whole group of people exercising as a group. They're all exercising a group, and, and here's the key, encouraging one another as they exercise. That's a whole part of the training. Okay, so, so now when you're beat, you're exhausted, you don't feel like you can do another set of push-ups, another set of box jumps, or whatever. Now, instead of just having to stir up the motivation within you somewhere to get it done, now you've got a whole group of people around you cheering you on, being like, come on, man, one more. Like they're, they're around you, and you've got people beside you who are also pushing through their fatigue to try and do that next set of box jumps and push-ups too. It's a whole group of encouragement happening all at once. And without trying to, to, I'm not trying to minimize or take away from Hebrews 11 at all, but I, I think very much so, in a very real sense, you could say what the author of Hebrews wants us to see with each and every person that he lists in chapter 11. He wants us to see a crowd of like CrossFit, encouraged, cheering squad people. Standing there encouraging you. They've finished their difficult sets now. They're encouraging us to complete ours. That's what's going on. And there's no question, man, support, encouragement like this, it's so helpful. It's so helpful, whether that's somebody just coming alongside encouraging you or hearing the story of someone shared with you. 
Look what I was able to accomplish with God's help. I mean, if, if you are in any doubt of how encouragement like this is helpful, just picture any sporting event you've ever been to. From a professional all the way to your kid's elementary sports day. Imagine that taking place in complete silence. How motivating would that be? It, it, just every day like that, encouragement is coming like that. How much more in the Christian life do we need encouragement like that? But as I also said earlier, the way that this cloud of witnesses seeks to encourage us is not by telling us about their great achievements and saying, you can do it too if you just try hard enough. That's not what they're doing. No, rather than pointing to themselves at all, these heroes of the faith in each and every instance are seen pointing away from themselves and pointing up to God, who is the true hero of their stories. So we'll see their cheering encouragement is never, I know it looks impossible, but you can do it. You got this. It's always, I know it looks impossible, but God can do it. He's got this. And the repeated refrain given as the means by which we access that strength, that we access that ability to be able to accomplish the impossible by faith. By faith. And what I'm so thankful for is that rather than just doing that thing which happens so often in church, and I grew up with this, I don't know if you grew up in church, this happened too. He doesn't just use this like spiritual word, but then give us no definition, no application of how it applied. I don't know if you've ever had this, like, you know, I would share a struggle, like, I don't know, like, how do we know the Bible is really God's word? And people would just say, I just got to have faith, man. Just have faith. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. But like, you mean like study or learn? I, I don't know. I don't know. Just have faith. Like, nobody could really even say what they meant here. What's awesome? He's, he's like, no, no I'm going to show you. Here's what I mean when I say faith. So let's look at it. Verse 1, he gives us, it's a two-part definition. Listen, now faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, this is what the ancients were commended for. So this, this faith that he says brings about both the ability to accomplish the impossible and that brings the commendation of God is a result of a combination of two things. First of all, being sure of the things we hope for. That word in the Greek, sure, believe it or not, it actually literally means confidence. Having confidence in the things we're hoping for and being certain, that word in the Greek literally means having proof, having convicting evidence, having convicting evidence of the things we can't yet see. Sure of the things we hope for, certain of the things we can't yet see. Not when you hear the word like faith, does that usually what you think of when you hear about faith? Is that what you usually associate with that word? Don't we often usually hear it today much more used almost interchangeably with terms like wishful thinking? We've got the facts over here, this is the evidence, and then faith is just over here, whatever. I guess we'll just have faith. And yet here the author of Hebrews it, it speaks very differently about faith, doesn't he? He talks about it as something that brings certainty, that brings convicting evidence to the one who has it. Now, we don't have time to get into this this morning, but I just want to say, if that sounds overly convenient to you, if you're like, oh, sure, okay, yeah, the Bible's saying faith can bring certainty. You just got to have faith. It's doing the same thing. I, I would recommend reading guys like G.K. Chesterton, uh, Leslie Newbigin, who, who have said some great things about how the, fact, how the idea that facts and belief are not nearly as mutually exclusive as we often are told, but are actually entirely interdependent. 
You need both in order to have a truth claim, belief and facts. And given that reality, I love the way the Jerusalem Bible translation paraphrases verse 1, saying it this way, listen, it is only faith that can guarantee the blessings we hope for or prove the existence of realities that at present remain unseen. I love that. And what's also helpful about this definition of faith is Philip Hughes points out is that it's these terms, assurance, certainty, also have a dynamic quality about them. That is, they, they compel us to action as a result of our faith. That is, he says, they imply not just a state of immovable dogmatism, but a vital certainty which impels the believer to stretch out his hand and lay hold of those realities on which his hope is fixed and which, though unseen, are already his in Christ. So, based on all this, what I want you to see, first of all, the witness of Hebrews 11 is intended to encourage, to encourage the one who's suffering, to encourage the one who's weary and in danger of losing their faith, to hold on to that faith, to keep pressing forward no matter how impossible it seems. Just, just the same way that a, a CrossFit family would come around and encourage you to accomplish your next set. And as we continue through this series and look at these witnesses that these men and women offer us, I pray that it's going to give us just such encouragement to step out of the proverbial boat ourselves where our faith can be grown, where our faith can be strengthened. But if you follow the progression that's implicitly stated in Hebrews 11, I think we see that the reason these witnesses are even able to offer this encouragement is why. It's because they've seen the evidence of what they hoped for. They can offer encouragement because they've stepped out and seen the reality of what they could not yet see. They've seen God can do it themselves in their own lives. And my question for us as it relates to how we want to operate as a church family is, isn't that in itself a call to each one of us to seek to encourage those around us who we see struggling and suffering right now in various ways, to encourage them both by cheering them on that can be all kinds of different ways, just sitting and listening to somebody, just being with them, offering a prayer, offering a service that you can, whatever it is, and by being willing to share our own stories, share our stories of how God has done incredible things in our lives when we stepped out and trusted Him by faith. Because stepping out of the boat in the midst of a storm, that's a big deal, right? It's scary, it's terrifying. But if your faith has been grown by stepping outside the boat and finding the assurance of what you hoped for, shouldn't we be all the more eager to also give evidence to those struggling to step out right now of what is truly possible by faith? To say, look, look at what God did for me. I didn't think it was possible either. Look what he did. And by, and by so doing, encourage them to step out as well. Okay, that's stepping out as a result of encouragement. The last thing we're going to look at this morning, stepping out as a response to Jesus' call. Stepping out as a response to Jesus' call. And for this, flip over with me if you still have it marked there to the story in Matthew 14. As I say, I think this story gives us a clear demonstration of what that definition of faith in Hebrews looks like when it's lived out. Matthew 14, beginning at verse 22 there. 
Now, if you've never heard this story before uh, of Peter, the disciples out in the storm, just let me quickly give you a bit of context to help us see what's going on here. In the previous verses of chapter 14, we have an example both of intense persecution. It's where John the Baptist is beheaded. And then we have an example of Jesus' divinity, his, his deity. This is where Jesus takes a lunch of five loaves and two fishes and, and prays over it and miraculously feeds 5,000 men and their families. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this detail, but in John's gospel, we learn that the reason Jesus was so quick to take the disciples and be like, you guys need to get out of here. Get on the boat and get over to the other side. The reason he's doing that is because after Jesus performs this miracle, feeds all these people, the crowds try to grab Jesus by force and make him to be their king. They're like, you're going to be the king now. Now, just granting the kind of irony of the fact that Jesus actually already is their king, in the truest sense of the word, that's not what he's here for right now. That's not why he's here right now. So he's having nothing to do with this. He, he says his disciples, you guys get out of here. I need you on the other side of the boat and, and other side as quickly as possible. He dismisses the crowd somehow and then goes up to be alone and pray, which is what he had been trying to do initially before this crowd showed up. But look at the second half of verse 23 with me. You see that by the time Jesus comes down from wherever he was praying, now it's late into the evening. In verse 24, we see that the boat ride to the other side took a, a very strong turn for the worse. Disciples are stuck somewhere out in the middle of this lake, and the, lake is, and the boat is getting pounded by wind and waves. They can't make any progress. They're stuck. They're all afraid they're going to die. But then look with me now at verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, again, this is between 3 and 6 in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He's walking on the lake. Now, we can have this tendency in our, as modern-day readers to look at the guys in the Bible and kind of have this kind of like, well, you know, this is pre-scientific, pre-enlightenment. They believed in this kind of stuff. Look at their reaction. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They were freaking out. They're terrified. They're like, this must be a ghost. They have the exact same re reaction we would have if we're out in a storm on the lake and someone just walks by. and is, we, we would be terrified. And not only the spectacle of it is terrifying to them. Yes, given their context, they also likely believed a messenger coming out to them in this situation was an omen of death. But look at how Jesus responds to his terrified disciples in verse 27. Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, two things we need to know. First of all, if you remember, part of that definition of faith that we had in Hebrews 11 was, was uh, uh, having assurance, having confidence in what we hope for. Remember, even the verse just before that said, don't lose hold of your confidence. The word that we have in Greek translated as Jesus saying, take heart, literally means have or be marked by confidence. Or assurance. So Jesus literally, we could, we could read him as coming out to the disciples and saying, have faith. Don't lose hold of your confidence. And then when he says, it is I, in the Greek, this is ego emi, which means I am. Have faith, I am, which if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that's God's divine name that he revealed to Moses in the burning bush. So, it's almost as like Jesus now walking out to his disciples on the water in the middle of this storm, and he's literally saying to them, have faith. 
I am the eternal God who made the heavens and the earth and this wind and these lakes. Which, of course, gives a lot more, I guess, weight to his final command where he says, don't be afraid. And we're not told how the other disciples react to what Jesus had said, but if you look at verse 28, we see that Jesus' call had a profound effect on Peter particularly. Look. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, why does Peter ask that? Uh, Nobody really knows. There's lots of different theories. The one that sounds most reasonable to me is that Peter is a passionate, lead-from-the-heart kind of guy, and he just gets worked up in situations and says the first thing that comes to his mind. So he was just like, you know, how, how about you tell me to come out? Like he wasn't, really hadn't thought through before. He just, in the moment, how about we try that? But what's awesome is that we see that regardless of Peter's impetuosity, whatever, given the immediate circumstances of what's going on, the mental, physical fatigue they must have all been going through all through the night, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that Peter's request here is still, it's a faith filled response to Jesus' call not to be afraid. It's as if Peter's saying, okay, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you. I have faith in you. And if it's really true that I don't need to be afraid of everything that's threatening to overtake me right now because you're here, if, if places of danger are actually places of safety in your presence, then call me out on the water to where you are. And we see in verse 29, Jesus responds to Peter's faithful request. He simply says, yeah, come on. And the incredible result we see there in the second half of verse 29, Peter's faith is rewarded. The assurance of what he hoped for, namely that at Jesus' command he could accomplish this impossible thing. He could step out of the boat and walk on waves that had so threatened and terrified him is now verified as evidence. And he steps out on the water and walks to Jesus makes Peter basically a New Testament example of the faith that the Hebrews 11 is talking about with all its Old Testament examples. He's a New Testament example of what happens when we trust God by faith. But if you look at this story, you see that in this instance, it's not the encouragement of those around him that enables Peter to accomplish this act of faith, right? The other disciples, if they're in the boat right now, what are they saying? They're like, dude, sit down! What are you just... They're not encouraging him to get up and... Hop out. They're just thinking, so that's not what's happening. This act of faith is a direct result of the call of Jesus, right? Peter's confidence in him is so firm, he's willing to step out and attempt something that he knows physically he shouldn't be able to accomplish. And we see that the reward of his faith is that Jesus enables Peter to walk on this water to accomplish the impossible. But as you hear this story, I believe the call of God's word is not simply to just hear it and be like, wow, wow, that's amazing. No, it's that too, but it's also to put yourself in the story now. Think of where you are in your own story right now, in your own life, and ask yourself, what are the storms that I'm weathering right now? What are the impossible circumstances that I'm facing that are threatening to drown me? You probably don't have to think too hard right now to think of what those things are. And then to honestly consider the possibility of whether Jesus isn't also calling you to step out of the boat and follow him onto the waves. Why would he do that? (laughs) Why would he do that? It's because that's 
where the assurance of our faith, the, the, the certainty of our faith is truly tested and where it's truly grown. But again, this, this highlights the very same problem that we started with as we began, where so often we don't recognize what this Christian life actually is. We don't understand this being that, that battle we talked about. We don't see it as a stormy spiritual battle that's going on all the time. And because we don't recognize that, we also think that growing in our faith is an optional exercise that we get to participate in or not whenever we feel like it. And if that's your mindset, you probably hear me say that and you're going to be like, step out of the boat in the midst of this storm. Are you crazy? Why would I do that? All I'm praying for right now is this storm to end. Thanks very much. I've had more than enough. And I think we've all been in places like that before. But what we fail to realize in saying that is that even the storm itself is a part of Jesus' plan to grow our faith. The storm itself is a part of Jesus' plan to grow our faith. Think about it. Whose idea was it for the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side? You really think that Jesus, the Lord over his creation, didn't know what he was sending his disciples into? And maybe that sounds mean. Maybe that sounds cruel. Why would God purposely, knowingly put us in positions of danger in order to grow our faith? But you've got to remember this. First of all, the call of Jesus to step out of the boat isn't given from the shoreline. Jesus is not standing on the shore being like, just try it. Step out. It's going to be good. He's out on the waves calling him. And secondly, we need to remember Jesus is not calling us to the waves he's calling us to himself and just as the three Hebrew slaves were safe in the fiery furnace because Jesus was present with them so too wherever Jesus the great I am is present no matter how scary no matter how fearful the situation we're safe there as well we're safe in his presence which is why that's where he's calling us to And what I love about this story, Peter particularly, and why it's such an encouragement, is both because of how incredible it is, but also because of how real it is. We'll close with this this morning. Because as we read on, we see that for all the strength of Peter's faith to trust Jesus, step out of the boat, walk on the water, the very next verse, we see how quickly his faith failed and he needed to be rescued by Jesus again. I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging. It makes me feel normal. Not to say that it doesn't matter to God if we doubt him, but it reminds us of how graciously he still receives us even when we do have doubts and we start to sink. Someone once said, just as courage is not the absence of fear but the ability to act in spite of it, so too faith is not the absence of doubt but the ability to trust in spite of it. I mean, are you really telling me that Peter still didn't have doubts when he was stepping out of that boat? That suddenly now he thought, oh, now, now people can walk on water. No, he didn't. Of course he still had doubts. The point is, because his faith in the one who called him was superior to his doubts, he trusted Jesus enough to step out of the boat anyways the full assurance that he could stand on the waves. In fact, it was only 
when his gaze and his faith shifted from the ability of the one who called him to his own ability that he began to sink. So what is Jesus calling you out into this morning? What's he calling you to? All of us, at some point or another, have been or will be in a storm like this. Jesus will call us out of the boat to trust him, to step out onto the very circumstances that are threatening us, to trust him that there is safety out there. But it's precisely the reason why it's out on the waves where our faith is truly grown and why each witness we're going to read about through Hebrews 11 is going to encourage us, yeah, you can step out there, you can do it. It's safe out there, don't worry. Why? Because it's within the interchange of success and failure where growth takes place. That's true in so many places in our lives. It's in trial and error where learning happens, where growth takes place. So it's not about doing this perfectly. It's about being willing to step out and try and fail. And what better place to exercise faith, to to, to try and possibly fail, than in the impossible situations, impossible circumstances of life that are beyond our ability to handle, and yet that are never beyond his reach to be able to reach in and rescue us when we do fall. It's the perfect environment to be able to grow in our faith because he's always present, ready to rescue when our faith does fail and ready to encourage us for it to continue to grow. Let's pray.